Before I introduce this week's message, I want to wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. There is probably no more important, harder job in the world than being a mother. And uh, this is a time to show our appreciation uh, for our natural mothers and for others that have, have been mothers in our lives. And so at this time, and especially during this time when the feeling of separation is, is greater due to the, the isolation that we're all going through, uh, this could be difficult, a difficult day for some. But let me uh, remind you how much you are appreciated and how much you are loved by God and, uh, and He sees you as precious. There are many women who um, have been mothers to people that may not be or are, are natural mothers, and uh, they too are. It's it's good to single them out on a day like today to thank them, and they might be gone, and so to remember them uh, in in gratitude and thanksgiving to God for uh, the people who have been mothers in our lives and through whom we've been so richly blessed. So again, happy Mother's Day to, to all you mothers out there. Thank you uh, for who you are and all that you have done. The following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Alan again, uh, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've called the Remarkable Gospel. This message is for May the 10th, 2020. Again, I'm coming from my home, as we are still not able to gather together, and uh, we uh, need to pray for each other in in this time of isolation. and, And some people are really, really busy, and some people are really, really bored, and it's it's quite the time, but this is one of the reasons, this is a, a normal reason why uh, we take time to hear and learn from God's Word so that uh, we regain a, a God-derived perspective on, on life, whether we're going through hard times or not. And, and these times, of course, are very confusing times, and it's a, it ends up being a great time to take the time uh, to to think about some of these things and see what God is saying to us. Because as I talked about weeks ago, God's Word is not unchained. Uh, whether we're in lockdown, isolation, if we're not well, uh, or we're really well, we wish we could do some things, we had some plans that, that um, have been cancelled uh, because of the current situation, God is still in charge, God can still use, wants to still use us, even if it might be in ways that we don't prefer or certainly have not expected. This week, we're getting into uh, the beginning of chapter 7, and we have a section here of Jesus' teaching that's in between him doing some of his signs and wonders. We looked at last week, and we'll continue next week. But this week, we're looking at Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 23. Uh, that's uh, some teaching that he, he's done that actually uh, in this gospel I called the remarkable gospel because there's so much reaction, people being astounded and amazed. And sometimes the the person who is amazed 
is the Lord himself. And uh, while he's not amazed in this section, he certainly, uh, in its, uh, the way I understand, he's reacting. I don't mean in a wrong way, uh, but you'll see as, as we get into the passage. Uh, but before I read Mark 7, 1 through 23, uh, if you would permit me to indulge myself, May the 10th, 2020 is a very special day because this is Robin and my 40th wedding anniversary. And it it is talk about reaction and being astounded. Uh, God has been so good to us in in these years in his faithfulness in, in in taking care of us and our and our large family and and now our increasingly large family with our grandchildren and and our 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 children's spouses and and we we are so blessed we're blessed to uh, be part of the All Saints Lutheran Church community uh, at this time uh, even though we're not getting to see one another but trying to stay in touch as best we can um, and uh, anyway, I just wanted to take this time to thank the Lord before all of you, whoever here is watching this. Uh, I want to thank him uh, for his faithfulness to me and my wife, Robin, uh, during these 40 years and counting. All right, let's get into the passage. Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly according to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a very fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of his heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of your word. We pray that you would help us to hear what you're saying, uh, Lord, I'm aware that I come with 
my perspective, my opinion. Only you truly know the intention of your word. We pray that by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take my small offering of seeking to share this with uh, the precious people watching this at this time, that you would take my offering and, and and help us to engage a process where actually you are teaching us and you are showing us what your word is actually saying. So please guide me in in my presentation of what I've prepared. But most of all, may you speak to all of our hearts and do in us what you want to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Something very interesting in this passage is that is that Jesus is showing both the religious leaders and his his disciples and the people how they become misguided in their approach to the Word of God. As I have studied this, it appears that in the way this section has been presented to God's people, there's another layer of misguided understanding that, as far as I can understand, obscures the main point or main points that the Lord is seeking to say to us through this. And I'll explain as we go along. So let's go back to verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, now there's some difference of opinion among scholars as to whether uh you know, what were the Pharisees and the scribes doing there? And as I've mentioned other times, the Pharisees were part of this, they were part of a grassroots movement of what I've called keeners, that they were the very committed ones. They believed that what was wrong with the people of Israel in their day is that they were not serious enough about keeping God's word, the Torah. Torah is most often translated as law. It actually means teaching or direction. It first um, refers to the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But in Scripture, and, and the Pharisees understood this correctly, Torah is more than the five books. It's God's expressed will. And they believed that what was wrong with Israel is that they were not following Torah sufficiently. One of the things that they did, and we're going to get into that in this passage, is they took the temple uh, services, the temple regulations, and they believed that it was appropriate to apply some of the priestly principles of how the, uh, the temple service was done, how sacrifices were offered, and they they applied them to everyday life. And that sounds noble. It sounds spiritual. So, for example, one of the traditions that got passed on, I'm not too sure where this actually first came from, and this seems like a very, I think it's an innocuous example. So, uh, we as a family, in case you don't know, uh, my family and we're, we're Jewish believers in 
the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Um, we're believers just like all believers. And yet we come from a Jewish background just like the people in this story. And there are many like us. We are a minority among our own people. Just like any people group, believers are a minority. But we're a small minority among other Jewish people. I believe one day that's going to change. But it, it was a minority then. In Jesus' day, it's a minority now. And so we keep some of our Jewish customs uh, that we believe are appropriate to keep. And one of the things that we do is we have a special meal Friday evening at the beginning of Shabbat, the, the Sabbath day. And we have, uh, so my wife makes uh, homemade. I didn't grow up that way. We used to buy the bread in a bakery. Uh, but you've probably seen it. The bread we eat is called a challah, Hebrew word. And um, it could be made as a regular loaf. Um, but on Friday night, it's, a, it's twisted. It's, so it's, a, it's braided. And there's two of them. And the reason why there's two of them is it's to remind us of the double portion of manna that was taken by the people of Israel in the wilderness on the sixth day of the week. So it reminds us of the gathering of the manna. That's a good thing to remember. We say a blessing, the same blessing that's often said uh, over bread, um, which is the, the most common Hebrew blessing over food. And so we, we say that. Um, and I dip, I break the a piece of challah off and I dip it in salt and I I pass it around, I pass pieces around to the people around the table. It's not has nothing to do with communion. Communion comes from Passover. Um, and the reason for the salt, now it's possible it was simply a Middle Eastern custom. I've talked to some Egyptian people and, and it's a custom. But what I've been told is it became a rabbinical tradition of adding of the salt because in the book of Leviticus, I don't have the, the, the reference offhand, in the book of Leviticus, salt was added to all the sacrifices. And the, the rabbis, who were the successors to the Pharisees, they, like the Pharisees, they applied the temple principles to everyday life. And so this, the Bible says in the Torah that salt was to be added to all the sacrifices. And so we add the salt to our Shabbat table, our Sabbath table, as a way to liken our table to an altar. And isn't that a wonderful thought? To, to, to sanctify this celebratory meal that we have each week and remember that, it's a, that this is a holy gathering. It's a wonderful idea. But that way of applying the temple principles to everyday life, that's not in the Bible. That's something invented by the Pharisees. And, and we don't know how far back that tradition goes. Uh, so whether the, there may not have been Pharisees when this first was developed, um, but all these things developed around this time period and then became the way to do it became the way to do it. And that's actually what's going on in this passage. Now, one of the things we don't know, and I started saying this at the beginning, uh, um, were there Pharisees around from Jerusalem generally? Because some people think that there was concern on the part of the Jerusalemite Pharisees that the Jewish people in Galilee were not living uh, a, a proper Jewish life. And they 
took it upon themselves to seek to um, encourage, uh, provoke uh, the people to kind of play it by the book. And, and back again, this is interesting. So in the name of Moses, in the name of the Torah, they provide, they, they taught the people Torah plus their understandings of how to apply Torah. So they might have been hanging out in the Galilee anyway, and then saw what was going on with Jesus and his disciples and, and then engaged them. Or hearing about Jesus and his followers and what they were doing, they came special to Galilee to, to look into what was going on. And then here we see this, this, this interchange. Either way, uh, they gather around him. There's a sense that they're not just hanging out with him, listening to him, that they came to corner him uh, as keeners, keeners, which many of us are. I tend to be a keener. Uh, keeners tend to do. And so it says in verse 2, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So they observed that uh, Jesus' disciples were not doing a custom that they believed was mandatory. And it's a little interesting to see about, you know, this issue of hand washing in this day of COVID-19, where we've been encouraged by the authorities to wash our hands for 20 seconds and to wash them often and don't touch your face. But the reason our our authorities currently are telling us to wash our hands is not the same as why uh, the Pharisees were tell, were insisting upon hand washing. It's a different thing. This is a, in their case, this is a ceremonial thing that has to do with ritual purity, and it's explained in verse three. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, and this shows us that it was not just something by this time that only the keeners, the Pharisees, were doing, but it was a common practice. It's possible when it says the Jews, it's talking about Judeans. This is very difficult for us to get. It, we, as far as we can tell, that in the south, in the province of Judea, which is similar to the word Judah, which is where Jewish comes from and Jews come from, and then later on this term became applied to all Israelites, that they were more religiously oriented in the south, near the temple, than the Jewish people or other Israelites living in the north in the Galilee. So the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. This thing about the tradition of the elders, this is the the attempt to apply written Torah to all aspects of life. And this eventually became known as the Mishnah, the oral Torah. So eventually, in the tradition of the Jewish people, these um, understanding of principles and codifying those principles and making them mandatory, it, eventually they believed what had happened was God gave uh, things to Moses to write down. That's what we have in our Bible, the first five books of the Bible, the written Torah. And then there, at the same time, God had told Moses things that he didn't write down. And that became known as the Mishnah, the Oral Torah. And that didn't get written down until 200 years after Jesus, way after the destruction of the temple. They they feared that they were going to lose uh, the oral tradition, so it was time to write it down. And that became part of this collection of, of Jewish religious literature known as the Talmud. Um, the fact that there was 
um, interpretation and and understandings of written Torah, of course there, there must have been. But this idea that those traditional understandings actually were rooted all the way back to Mount Sinai, uh, back to Moses, and then was just passed on orally until it was eventually written down many, many centuries later, that seems a, a way that uh, the pharisaical and rabbinical traditions uh, became standardized and mandated among the people. And, and, and they were justifying their interpretations by this way of understanding it. So as far as we know, somewhere these traditions developed, these traditional interpretations and applications of God's truth, um, but they are not God's word. Okay, it's holding to the tradition. Verse 4, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and cup vessels and dining couches. So one of the things to notice here is the they're confronting the disciples about hand washing. There's nothing here about clean and unclean foods, what we call, you know, about the kosher rules. It's not, that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about the defilement of eating with defiled hands. So they believed, and this comes from the application of temple rituals that God gave about, uh, about purity, and they applying it, they're now applying it to everyday life. And so they believe just like the priests had to wash as a part of their temple ritual, it became necessary in their minds that before eating food in a common way, hands needed to be washed. And what they would do is they would they would hold their hands in a certain way and they would pour water over their hands. So it didn't really clean the hands. It was a symbolic gesture uh, to show that in their minds they were going along with God's word before handling the food so they would not defile the food they believed if they if the hands were unwashed and then touched the food because they ate with their hands um, like many cultures still do they would defile the food now they were eating defiled food but there's this these regulations are nowhere in in, in god inspired ordained scripture this was a a application of temple principles that were applying to everyday life so again it's it this sounds really really pious but god's word never mandated this and it's not about the food itself it had to do with washing or not washing of the hands so they asked this question why are they not why are they eating with unwashed hands. Um, And then Jesus um, reacts to that and and seems to react bigger than what the question is is asking for. But there is more to the question than meets the eye. So we see this again, verse 5, And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So they're not simply saying, 
it's it's not an innocent inquiry. Like it's like, uh, okay, so this rabbi's disciples are doing things differently from us. How come? They're not. That's not what they're asking. Like, why do you do things differently? That's not the question. It's actually a loaded question because they've already made their judgment. They've already judged that the Jesus disciples' hands were defiled. Right. That's what it says. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of, of the elders, which they thought was they had to do, so they're already saying they're breaking something that they shouldn't be breaking, but eat with defiled hands. So they're, they've made their determination. So it's not just an inquiry. They are actually expressing a judgment upon Jesus' followers because they're not doing it right according to their understanding of God's will. So then Jesus fires back at them, verse 6, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy, and, and, and some, uh, some think that the word is like, you know, beautifully did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written, and hypocrites is a Greek word meaning actor, it's taken from the Greek stage, very heavy duty, that a Jewish rabbi in discussing something with Jewish religious leaders, keeners, who actually, they actually share a lot of common beliefs, and yet he calls them actors, Greek actors. His very, very, very strong language. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Well, that's really, really harsh. Like, these were the keeners, right? Like, they weren't saying, uh, disobey God's word, um, but wash your hands. It, it, but Jesus actually says, this is what they do. Because the approach that led them to establishing a mandatory custom, not just a custom, a mandatory custom of hand-washing prior to meals. And if you don't do this, you're defiled. And remember, so the Pharisees, they were so keen about purity. They believed that one of the reasons why God's disfavor was on the nation was because the people weren't doing it right. And one of the main areas where they weren't doing it right is that they were defiled. And if only the people were pure, then God would look at them with favor. So the, every Roman soldier, and there were a lot of them, every Roman soldier that they saw was a sign that the people were sinning. And one of the key ways, according to these keeners, the people were sinning, they weren't concerned about some of the things that Jesus is going to share in a minute. They were concerned that they weren't ritualistically pure which was a custom that they made up out of, seems like a good motive, you know, uh, you know expanding the, some of the ideas of, of temple worship to everyday life sounds so noble, sounds so spiritual, sounds so religious, but according to Jesus, that approach is misguided and dangerous. So he reacts to their judgment about unwashed hands by saying you are the people that Isaiah talked about who in vain worship me teaching his doctrines the commandments of men you leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men 
And he goes on, verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And that's not directly about the unwashed hands. He, he brings up something huge. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whatever reviles father and mother, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So Jesus goes from the Pharisees questioning unwashed hands to the to saying that they permit the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments and specifically honoring father and mother. Note here that honor father and mother has to do with providing for them, most likely providing for your parents in their old age. That's most likely what that commandment is about. The word honor here is like the word honorarium, you know, the providing of money. And it was, so when God spoke these words through Moses on Mount Sinai, or to Moses and then through Moses um, on Mount Sinai, it has to do with providing for your parents. And Jesus said, this is the essence of what you guys are doing. You think you are so keen for God's word when actually what your traditions are doing is undermining God's word because they, uh, they had this custom of dedicating things to God. That's scriptural. Nothing wrong with that. Where You decide for whatever reason that you have some goods, uh, possessions, money that you want to set aside specifically for God. But what, they, and, but what they had determined in their tradition is that they put that custom, that understanding over and against God's actual word. And that's really, really bad. So they have found a way not to provide for their parents by dedicating things to God. And he says, you, and many such, things, uh, many such things you do. And then he calls out to the crowd. So at this point, he's, I don't know if the people, the general people were listening to some of this. Maybe they were. But now he has something to say to everybody. Verse 14, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, what's he talking about? Now, we tend to get stuck on um, what I think is a mistranslation here, that this is about kosher food, what you can eat and what you can't eat. But remember, this all starts with the pharisaical idea, the rabbinical idea of you're defiling food and putting defiled food into your mouth because they're not being washed, when God never commanded such a thing. That's the context. And so he's calling out to the people and he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what it says in Torah, and I should have actually wrote down some of the, the, the verses. If, if, if you're interested and you can't find them, contact me and I'll, and I'll send them to you. Um, bodily discharges. We see this, especially in the book of Leviticus. The people are told, so a woman's period male semen, uh, other forms of, of, of discharges, 
made a person ritualistically impure and they could not engage the temple ritual should you have certain forms of bodily discharges and so he's telling the people what they're supposed to already know it's not um it's not what goes into you that defiles you it's what comes out of you that defiles you that is a true written torah principle but the pharisees twisted it and started to say no it's what goes into you that defiles you. he goes no 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 that's not what god teaches through moses and then verse 17 when he had entered the house and left the people's disciples asked him about the parable parable what parable this doesn't sound like a parable yeah it's a parable because the reason why he shouted that out to the people sharing a torah principle a bible a, a bible principle was it was not about the bible principle that's not why he said this to the people he wasn't he was telling them something that they should have already known about bodily discharges and how they make you ritualistically impure but he didn't share it to remind them about that which they already knew there was deeper meaning and and his disciples knew that and so that's why they asked him about him about it verse 18 and he said to them then are you also without understanding it's like here we go again with with the disciples he's he's saying to them and to us you should already understand this do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled and then in our translation and most more recent translations in english thus he declared all foods clean so first as i said he expected them to understand this um that this is not how defilement works it's not by the things that go into you and verse 19 speaks about something very crass very mundane something that we all know that when you eat food eventually it gets expelled and depending on the translation it's a lot more graphic but let me simply say what you eat eventually enters up into the into the toilet and if you are more familiar or are familiar with the king james version and other older translations where we read here in the english standard version which is my translation that i prefer uh i prefer the original i wish i could read it absolutely fluently both the hebrew and the aramaic in the old testament and the greek and the new but English Standard Version is my preferred uh, Bible. Um, And that's why I'm using it. It says here, like many other more recent translations, thus he declared all foods clean. But the Greek doesn't actually say it. Say this. It says what you're more used to in the King James Version. It's It's so keeping this, it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, thus purging all meats. And meats clearly means food. Um, in 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 the older English from the Greek simply means it's a way of talking about food. Thus purging all food, which is what happens when you go to the toilet. Your food is purged. It's all part of this intricate digestive system and the cleanse and the natural cleansing provided by your body with regard to food is that there's stuff that is kept, the good nutrients if your body's working properly, and the rest is purged into the toilet and he's being in a sense crass with things that they understand like don't you understand that when you eat stuff 
It's not going to make you unclean. It's not going to make you ritualistically impure. But he's not talking about clean and unclean foods. That is not mentioned in this context at all. It appears that Christian commentators have read this in, the concept that um, what happens in Acts, and Paul speaks about that uh, dealing with the, the eating of what the Torah talks about as unclean food becomes permissible. I don't want to get into that because that's not what is being talked about here. It's not about clean and unclean food. And yet, for a lot of believers, this passage about how Jesus reacts to the Pharisees' judgment about defilement and how his, his disciples are defiled because they didn't wash their hands, all of a sudden becomes all about, oh, we can eat anything we want now. And that's it. We've done our Bible study. We've done our lesson. This is all about we can eat whatever we want. Now, you know, the, the Jews used to think you couldn't eat certain things because God told them, but now it's all okay, and that's it. Check, we got the lesson. But no, 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 that's not the lesson here at all. Verse 20, and he said to him, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. We know that it's bodily discharges, right? But then it's a parable at the same time. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is saying that the pharisaical approach of of making tradition mandatory blinds us to following the truth of God's word. That their inquiry and challenge about unwashed hands prevents us from properly dealing with the evil in our hearts. This is pretty heavy duty. This is really, really serious. Jesus is telling us that when we become keen for tradition and treat it as if it's God's ordained word, we blind ourselves and others to God's truth. On one hand, I would say there's nothing wrong with tradition and custom. Washing hands before a meal. Now, we do it now for hygienic reasons. All, we have all sorts of customs in our society. There's general customs within uh, the church worldwide. There's certain customs it, at All Saints, commun- at All Saints <laughs> Lutheran Church. Our community, there's certain customs in our home, certain customs in our various ethnic groups. Customs as customs are fine. But when customs become mandatory and mandatory for all God's people, now we've got a very serious problem. I've just finished um, a biography of Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. I'm not a Luther scholar, so I don't have the, the I, I wouldn't know how really accurate it is and all the rest. But we all know that God used Martin Luther to confront this very thing, where all sorts of customs had become confused with what God demanded of people. And in fact, the customs had t- superseded 
God's word. And Luther poured out his life imperfectly, but he poured out his life for something that the entire church benefits from, including the Catholic Church, uh, and, and calling us to get back to what the truth really is. And different Christian groups have done this differently. But we need to hear the challenge. We need to hear the challenge. Whether me personally, in, relating to my family, relating to myself, or as a church community, we need to ask ourselves the question, have our customs, our preferences, our ways of doing things, have they become confused with God's Word itself? Only God's Word is mandatory. Everything else must be subject to God's scrutiny. If we insist on our traditions and customs being mandatory, we will blind ourselves to God's truth and we will be unable to deal with the issues in our hearts individually and corporately that we actually need to deal with. It's that which is in the heart that defiles us. It's not about those outside things, those customs that we can think are so important. And, and it's a, as I said, it's a challenge for us all. God help us to not turn our preferences into idols. They must go. And in this time of crisis, there is no better time than this to take stock of what are we doing? Are we serving God by hearing and obeying His Word? Or are we insisting on our preferences and then judging others on the basis of our customs and traditions in the name of God? May He help us to be free. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its challenge. We thank You for the call to distinguish between our preferences and customs and what Your Word really says. And help us individually, as families, as a church community, to know the difference between our preferences and customs and Your Word. And help us, Lord, to hear Your Word today and to obey it, whatever that means for our preferences. Have mercy on us. We look to You for Your blessing. May Your peace and Your grace be upon us all. Bring healing to those who need it today, uh, among us who are engaging in this, in this message right now, and our loved ones. And may You lead us at this time that you would fulfill all the things that you want to do in our hearts and our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Keep healthy. Keep safe. Reach out if you, if you need to connect with anyone. Until next time, this is Pastor Alan. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.